Howard Lindzen is the founder and general partner at Social Leverage. All opinions expressed by Howard and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Social Leverage or StockTwits. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for decisions. Guests may maintain positions and securities discussed in this podcast. That's me acting like a shark. Dude, I got shark today. VIX closed today at 80, a very historic close, a very unhistoric market. Well, historic market, unhistoric loss or historic losses. What the hell? I keep saying unhistoric. (laughs) (laughs) It's like English isn't my first. I've become a Trump. The uh, I'm tired. It's the third podcast of the day. This is a historic day. I knew it. That's why I'm book solid. Uh, The market just closed. Uh, this is not going to be live, but I just want to bookmark this as, as a historic day. I watch pretty much the tape all day on Coifin and Robinhood and stock twits, uh, a little bit of Twitter. And uh, I've never seen anything like it. Um, Sunday emergency cut, uh, panic everywhere. Uh, it's weird because it's surreal because it's 80 degrees and perfect in, in Phoenix today. And I'm holed up here with Canute. Uh, we're just sipping oil. From Norway, fresh, fresh squeezed oil. It's very cheap these days. Yeah, fresh squeezed, black, crude, the good kind, and stolen from Danish people, right? Centuries. It's cheaper from water than water right now. <laughs> it is cheaper than water by barrel. Yeah. And uh, the Dow. Let me just see quickly. Uh, market plunge with the Dow sinking its worst day since 1987. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. We have to take that in. Two guests coming up are the, probably the two favorite people that I would want to talk to on a historic day. One, both both some of the best investors I know, uh, not stock market investors, uh, but stock market people uh, over their time. Uh, Fred Wilson, who for a little while was the original investor in street.com and uh, for a small period of time was CEO in their last market in turmoil, which we'll talk about. And it's a great venture capitalist. Uh, a lot of history that people don't know about because uh, it's been a bull market for so long, but there were previous busts uh, before this one. And uh, all the way from Tel Aviv right now, we're going to call Yoni Asia, founder of eToro, one of my good friends and maybe one of the best financial entrepreneurs I know. has been bullish on Bitcoin since 12 cents. So you can make fun of him dropping from 19,000 to 5,000, but when you own it at 12 cents, uh, it's just a rounding error uh, in wealth. So Yoni uh, lives in uh, on a plane and now is grounded, obviously, with uh, Israel pretty much grounded too. So we'll have a good take from Israel today as well. That's what we're going to lead with with Yoni. I'm going to get him on the phone, but first a uh, message from Koifin. Knut? Sounds are good. Are we Go ahead. Uh, I asked Koifin, which I use all day, every day, to uh, send us a little note because we know to get, 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 get people on this platform, get people educated, get people speaking the language of markets. If it's Twitter and stock twits aren't for you, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to yammer and uh, get flow of information. You may just want data. Uh, Coifin is the perfect product for news and information. It's one of our portfolio companies at social leverage. Uh, and like I said, if you want to track and analyze what's happening in the current market, uh, Coifin is that product. It's a web-based platform. Yes, you can appify it, and it lets you analyze stocks, ETF, mutual funds, and other assets all in one place. I use it every day. It's open right now. I think if you try it, you'll love it. Coifin has a ton of high-quality data, powerful functionality, and a clean interface. The best part, it's free. You can sign up at coifin.com. That's K-O-Y-F-I-N.com. Let's call Tel Aviv. 
You got him? Yep. We're calling the Yoni Meister. Shalom. Hello, hello. Manishma. All good, all good, Howard. How are you? Good. It's 10 o'clock. Market just closed. Ten, market closes 10 p.m. Is it Tel Aviv time? It's 10 a.m. Tel Aviv time. That's it. 10 p.m. Tel Aviv, no? 10 p.m. 10, yeah. 10 p.m., yeah. 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 And so uh, are you headed home from work or where are you at? Yeah, I'm uh, back from work with friends. Back from work with friends. So you're not uh, take you're not locked down with the with the, with your kids. Uh, we're not uh, officially locked down yet, though the majority of people in Israel in high tech are now working from home. In just high tech, I mean, Israel's got to be such a. I mean, I spend a lot of time each year there, or time each year there, and it's just such a close knit kind of like Italy in that way. Like, how do you prevent the spread? Well, so far, it's been relatively contained, though there isn't a lot of testing also in Israel, so it's relatively contained as much as we know. Well, um, you know that, but, uh, that as, a viral, uh, as a viral guy, you know then that's bullshit. I don't know anything anymore, true. especially not regarding this virus. True, true, true. You're a dark web guy, so if, even in your mind, you gotta, you got to contemplate hoax. At some level, <laughs> but you don't think it's a hoax? No, no, uh, it's real. I'm not sure, though. A- anything you know, we're trying to do to contain it actually is what's containing it. Correct, correct. And so Israel's not is just slowly coming to that lockdown mode, like yeah, the U.S. It's uh, yeah, it's uh, somewhat similar. It's a bit more extreme because. They closed the borders earlier here in Israel uh, and quarantined people coming from overseas um, and closed schools and kindergartens nationwide um, and closed all kind of entertainment, so bars, restaurants, etc., nationwide as well. Uh, And there are supposed to be some additional measures now. Yeah. The um, it's really fascinating because this is a fascinating day. The VIX is at eighty. We haven't seen this, you and I. And you live on volatility in your business. Um, I, not, I mean, you live. You meaning it doesn't? If that that doesn't kill you makes you stronger, right? The VIX is stressing everybody's systems, but VIX at eighty. Give me some con. Like, just tell people you haven't seen that, have you? Well, we've seen increased interest. I'm I'm sure. By the way, anybody. Uh, you know, that's sort somewhat connected to the market has noticed that everybody's talking about what's happening in the markets. Right. So it's Corona so, so or the markets. It's Corona or the it's, markets. It, it's Corona and the markets. And the so markets. everybody's interested in what's happening in the markets. Everybody's trying to diversify. Everybody's trying to de-invest, to invest, to find out the bottom, to figure out whether, you know, Friday w- was a, a, a temp everything obviously um so everybody's talking about what's happening in the markets because the markets are extremely volatile and it's interesting for a lot of people and it's becoming uh you know uh, uh there, there are no uh, water fountains now but in theory water fountain uh discussion yes the water fountain discussion so so let's yeah. just take a step back now and let people uh this is a uh, I put this series together called Panic with Friends. We're talking to founders. 
uh, friends, well, all friends, but founders, venture capitalists, uh, big thinkers, uh, traders, uh, to give StockTwits audience, and you can share it with the Toro audience, some, some really good feedback about what it's like to have been through a panic, what it's like, what we can expect, what's on the other side, um, and how we're all dealing with it. So let's uh, let people introduce yourself. E- can you f- start with Etoro and then just go a little further back, like, or, or start further back at the military and go to today? Take your time, like it's a podcast, so take your time. Sure. So, so I'm a I'm a finance geek. Okay. I fell in love in the markets uh, just uh, I think after I fell in love in the internet. So I love the connected world. Um, started trading and uh, programming when I was about 13. Wow. Um, then uh, I did uh, become became a programmer. Became a programmer in the uh, IDF. Uh, then started the Israeli startup. defense force. Yeah, yeah Israeli force. army. Yep. And the, yeah. So I worked at the intelligence unit uh, uh, as a programmer. Uh, I can't tell you anything about that because I'm going to have to kill I wouldn't understand. The I wouldn't understand it anyway. <laughs> Norway has their own program too. Knut's who runs our things from Norway, it's just uh, they just give oil to people. That's their intelligence. <laughs> so anyway, so you finish IDF. And I founded a company that actually installed video cameras and roller coasters. So the, the only connection between that and, and eToro and what I'm doing now is the roller coasters of the markets. Yeah. But we installed cameras and the likes of Six Flags and Paramount, and I was traveling the world to install those cameras with Wi-Fi and roller coasters. And then uh, in 2007, I started uh, eToro, uh, which is today the world's largest social trading network uh, with my older brother. He comes from an industrial design background. So he's, Ronan. He's, uh, he's, he's a good friend Ronan. Yep. He's, he's, our, he's product. Um, and... Basically, he always used to make fun of me that I have an accountant hobby looking at multiple screens and charts and excels. And he used to say, like, this is the most, like, it sounds interesting when I talk about the markets, but it's the most horrible user experience. And we started DeToro to try and sort of hack the user experience to enable more people to access the global markets. Um, And uh, we've built basically a social network where 13 million users today from more than 100 different countries can trade stocks, commodities, indices, currencies, cryptocurrencies, and everyone can see, follow, and automatically copy top traders from all over the world. So when I was 16, I thought when I'll grow up, I'll be like in a Goldman Sachs trading floor with a thousand traders around me, being able to pick up the phone and talk to other traders in Tokyo and London and New York and Australia. And basically, that's the concept of eToro. Everybody can talk to everybody, can see what everybody's doing, uh, and can copy top traders from all over the world. Yeah, it's fascinating. So I met you in 2010, came to Tel Aviv, and I just, the minute I met you, I said, I'm investing. You met my wife and I, correct? Yeah, yeah. And that's been and, the and worst, then, worst you, introduction you ever had. You're like, you pitch me? No, no, no. I, I remember you came to our office and I and, and I told you like you actually had fans. You came like a celebrity to our office. We Please. had fans because we were doing social trading back then and we looked true, at the True, true. You guys list. were early. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. We did hit it off right away. I mean, it's kindred spirits. The I liked Ronan better. I just I connect better with your brother. <laughs> 
The uh, I, I like I liked your wife better. Well, everybody says that. You're not going. You're not going deep. <laughs> I with agree that. with you. The the what's fascinating about eToro, and we argue about this all the time, is is you're now in 140 countries, but until this year has ne- neglected the United States. How hard is it? like? Why is the United States? Is it because it's just that damn far and Finra and the SEC, or what? Or has it just been an overall strategy to avoid the U.S. It's been a part of strategy um, because I feel that the United States people in the U.S. actually have a good offering when it comes to trading and investing. Okay. I do still think we have uh, ways to innovate and come to the market. But if you think about like, you know, people in Israel, Germany, Italy, Spain, Philippines, U.K., then traditionally the markets are, are hyper-local. So if you go now into Germany and you go to you know, a local brokerage in Germany, you'll be trading only German stocks in euro, paying 20 euro per trade. Now that's, that, that's bad because you only trade European stocks or maybe German stocks or Italian stocks. If you're in Australia, 90% of Australian uh, traders trade just Australian stocks. Uh, and the same in Israel. You go to a, a you know a financial advisor in Israel. He's going to get you into Israeli ETFs in shekel that might be investing in U.S. equities, but everything is very very local. Yeah. So the U.S. on its own is an amazing capital market. It's almost you know a bubble of its own. But if you think at all of the other countries where we operate, they have to invest overseas. So our innovation to enable people to learn from one another in order to sort of invest overseas or in some cases crypto uh, is is really a leap of innovation for people outside the U.S. Where I I think in the U.S. the competitive landscape uh, and the current offering was actually quite good. It really uh, is. And I now, mean, in, in the our... end, you know, I was buying some puts for, you know, my daughter teaching them how to do the market, you know, buy one contract. And it's going to be hard to innovate past what Robinhood did at this point. You can copy, but you can't, boy, I mean, it's just so good. I think, copy, right. tra- uh, I think copy trading is the future. A, a next step, but you, but, but you need to help people understand they need to invest overseas. By the way, maybe this crisis will also uh, convince people in the U.S. that they need to invest overseas. Uh, but there's no doubt that the capital markets in the U.S. are you know, the example of, of what capital markets are. Uh, and they are sort of you know, the most functioning capital markets. Uh, you know, when I sat to dinner with Warren Buffett and he talks about the markets, it's so true regarding the U.S. market, stocks in the U.S., uh, have been have beaten bonds or in any other type of investment uh, for the past hundred years. It's not the same in every other market. In most markets, if you only look at the local capital market, in most markets they haven't necessarily done as well as the U.S. And yeah, so so you're in 140 countries. We're in a, yes, 140 countries. Our, our platform is in 24 different languages. Wow. Uh, we have large presence in Asia, uh, and sort of the center of our presence uh, is Europe, uh, with the biggest markets in uh, UK, France, Italy, Spain. Uh, we have a large presence in Asia, 
where we're growing our presence uh, both in uh, China, uh, Philippines, Thailand, Vietnam, uh, Australia, of course, uh, and have actually presence in Latin America and the Middle East and the Gulf countries as well. So very diverse offering across multiple countries. And when I invested, there's probably 20 people. How many people are at eToro now? We're 850 people globally across uh, 12 different offices uh, around the world. So that also gives us quite an interesting perspective where you know, we have offices in Australia, in uh, mainland China and Hong Kong, uh, a couple of offices in, in Europe, uh, in uh, UK, in the US now. We launched in the US about nine months ago. Right. Crypto um, so, only. So we're Crypto quite only diverse. For now. Crypto only. Crypto for now. only for now. And and is what's the key products for communication in that many offices? Is it Slack? Is it what are you legally allowed to use for communication? No, we actually use quite a bit of WhatsApp. WhatsApp. Uh, okay. So the, uh, WhatsApp is sort of the um, the non formal way of communication, uh, and then we use a lot of Zoom. Uh-huh. Um, especially now with yes. uh, a lot of our offices sort of working from home uh-huh. uh, with uh, people in the in Asia we also use WeChat uh-huh. uh, which is the, the uh, Chinese WhatsApp uh-huh. uh, so and, and obviously a lot of the project management tools like uh, Jira and others yeah so Jira for for product and everything else so and and it's your brother that kind of runs product in the up back off in the tech and in day to day yeah, so basically, uh, we we run uh, a lot of the different functions in the company. He was the main guy behind the design, basically. So he's a designer in background. When we were kids, he used to basically paint, and I used to steal his paintings and sell them at school. <laughs> and then when, so so can we talk about top line at all? Are you can you share any numbers like in the hundreds of millions or or is that uh, too private? Uh, well, since you're an investor and you just uh, revealed it because you know my numbers, then it's not private anymore. Well, I said hundreds. I didn't say 900 or 100. <laughs> <laughs> so it's in the hundreds of millions in, in terms of the business now in turnover, correct? Correct. And um, is have you? what has been the hardest part? Because, I mean, shit, American, American brokerages are very American. So what, like... Nobody in the States has the kind of understanding what it would be like to manage that many markets, that many languages, that many um, time zones. I mean, it's really fascinating. Where's the control center for all this? In Israel or just decentralized? In in, in Israel, the majority of management is based in Israel. um, And all of the product uh, and tech is in Israel. I, I think it's finding the common denominator. Mm-hmm. And finding sort of what's the simplest parts that are most important for investors. Because if you think about sort of the full-fledged digital uh, investment platform, there are many, many, many features uh, if you look at something like a Schwab, right? So we, we believe the, the big opportunity is building a, a global-sized Schwab. Mm-hmm. Right. So if, if in the U.S. Uh, a Schwab is a or was a 60, 70 billion dollars, we believe that just like in many technology enabled industries, there should be a global large digital investment platform. 
And But if you think of all the different features which are local, then you need to take them out of the equation and try to build the largest uh, part of the common denominator, which is interesting for people, whether they're in Australia or China or Thailand or Germany or Italy or Israel. Wow. And so switching to the topic of the idea of panic with friends. So that's that's Yoni. That's eToro. Fascinating company. Like I said, when I met Yoni, there were 20 people probably. Um, not sure if you were in the UK yet. Probably were. And um, now 850 people. So uh, muzzle tov on that. And, and I think... What I, the panic that I want to talk about is there's panic at three levels. There's your own personal panic. You have a family and you have your own money. You have the employees panic and now you have the clients panicking. Uh, not all of them, but you know, in a sense. So um, how do you... Wait, wh- wh- why is everybody panicking? <laughs> uh, I don't know if they're... I mean, VIX is at 80, so I'm going to assume 90% of people are panicked. There's only 10% of the people probably on the right side of this trade. So I would say ninety. If the VIX is at eighty, ninety percent of the people are panicking. No. Yes. Yeah, so, oh, you're being sarcastic. So I think, Sorry. Yes. Um, okay. So, so I, I, I think first of all we're witnessing something, and I. I you have some theories, so we'll get email. to it now. We'll get to the meat of this, but I wanted people to know who you were. So, so I, I, I sent an email to our employees saying that this these are historical times. So mm-hmm. our children and grandchildren and probably great-grandchildren are going to study this era. And and for everybody who's in capital markets, who's sort of in the eye of the storm of what we're witnessing, uh, it's fascinating because I'm fascinated with the markets and and it is fascinating what we're seeing. So first, for eToro, we've witnessed this firsthand starting in China. So uh, we have about 100 people in Asia. Good point, good point. Right, so you theoretically are guilty. Like you had this information. No, I'm kidding, but you saw this happening. So, so if you think about it, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say something now which is very calming, but not necessarily correct. So our, the only office of eToro which is fully functioning in the office uh, and everybody coming to the office every day right now is our office in China where this all started. So I think this was the first week of February where uh, the New Year's in China starts in, in February. Um, a bit confusing, but th- that's a fact. And and when the f- virus started bre- breaking, basically what happened there is what's happening now in the West. They started quarantining the first Wuhan, mm-hmm. then basically almost the entire of, of China. So the entire of China was under a, a lockdown where all of our employees couldn't get to the office. Uh, they had to work from home. We had we had our IT work 24-7 to make sure that our employees in China can actually work from home, which is very challenging. I don't know how everybody's managing this right now. Uh, but at first, this was very challenging, set up everything uh, for everyone to be able to work in at home in China. And uh, basically, they extended the New Year's. New Year's there is about two weeks. They extended it for another two weeks, if I'm not mistaken. So for a full month, people were basically staying at home. 
And then gradually people starting to get back to the office uh, where people who came out of Shanghai into Shanghai gradually had to self-quarantine for another 14 days and they got back into the office. So the ironic part of this, which could be coming, is that our offices now in China are actually uh, back to normal. Uh, people are going to the office every morning, working from the office not w- without masks, um, and, and restaurants are open and bars are open, um, and, and sort of life is gradually going back to normal in China, which is the complete opposite of what we're seeing now in Europe, in Israel, and in the U.S. But for us as a company, luckily, we were prepared for this uh, epidemic or pandemic. Um, and sort of, the, and the real pandemic is actually working from home with kids. That's the real pandemic. Yeah. Um, a pandemic. Uh, yeah. So it is hard. I mean, there's just there's just stress in the system everywhere. Like little 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 bits of like un, like new stress. It's 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 a completely new paradigm which nobody expected, and and this is different. Uh, you know, and I, I work in capital markets. I know a lot of people work in capital markets. No one has ever seen anything right. like this before, maybe other than the Queen of England because she was here in 1929. So, <laughs> so this is 1929, basically. We're not, we don't know what's going to lead into a depression, but it's a 1929 stop in like everybody panicked. People are. I, I I feel the panic is different. These there's so many people who don't own equity. The panic is the people who are losing their job and are depending on a government uh, maybe uh, for handouts. Th- this is the first time that first. This is first and foremost. This is a health crisis. Then the secondly, it's it's an economic crisis, but it's not a financial crisis yet. It's an economic crisis of the real economy, which is something that I think you know has been, we witnessed in in different markets, but we have never seen a real economic global crisis where people are without jobs because the entire travel industry, bar industry, restaurant industry, you know, everything is is gradually getting you know they're, they're, I see they're calling it the big shutdown. Uh-huh. So so people. Uh, you know, are going to to have less money to spend. Uh, and uh, Apple closed all of their stores. They're going to lose a month of revenue. And a month of revenue for a lot of companies, at it's least a much. month, right? So yeah. Yeah, a, a month, two months. And that's what people, that's real economy. Like real economy margins are 5 to 15%. You lose two months uh, of, of a revenue a year, you're you're not necessarily bankrupt. You lost all of your profit that year. Whether you're bankrupt or not depends on whether you're leveraged, whether Correct. you have debt, or whether you're all in equity. And that's what people don't necessarily understand when they look at capital markets. I have a lot of friends asking me, uh, "Is the D period? Is this stock cheap? It went down sixty percent." And I tell them, "Yes, but the." Equity owners are not necessarily the owners of this company anymore. Check out how much debt they have and when are they supposed to pay back that debt because they won't have profits this year. Um, And if they can't pay the debt at the end of the year, 
the stock is worth zero because the bondholders are actually the new owners of the company once they get there. And that's something that I think markets are starting to realize now. People don't realize that, investors, because investors usually are, are looking more at, at stuff like PE yeah. and the company and less, you know, they're less uh, savvy to look at uh, debt to equity ratios and the maturity of the debt of the company. And in a lot of cases, like Boeing, Boeing the airlines, et cetera, it's, it's all about understanding the debt Yep. dynamics yeah and so and, and, sorry and, and now the, the big question uh which is why i'm saying this is potentially a 1929 meets 2008 is how strong is the balance sheet are the balance sheet of the banks and if uh you know businesses start to default people start defaulting how strong is the financial system now to basically take that shock and whether uh, and are we going to see insurance companies and banks go bankrupt because because then we moved from a, a health crisis a real economic crisis into also a financial crisis and and that's the that's, that's the arm that's the armageddon scenario but the reason i i say party like it's 1929 is because I think that it almost doesn't matter how deep the deep is, we're going to see a, a, a very fast recovery. So this is going to be, uh, you know, and, and it could be, you know, the, the deep could take a year and then the recovery could take a year. But with where the world is today, I don't think anything takes 10 years anymore. So so this is a, we're very moody. Like millennials we're moody were, bitches. Well, you know, millennials are now running a lot of the show, and they're and they're moody. We're a moody generation, and we're gonna see, uh, you know, things get worse, maybe fast, and we're gonna eventually see things get uh, better, uh, very very fast, and we're gonna see the flipping of the pyramid. So, you know, there's been we've been saying for a while that technology. Uh, or software is eating the world, it's still technology, I think, is just about 20% of, of the S&P. I think when this crisis ends and the recovery ends, it's going to be the opposite. It's going to be 80% technology and 20% the rest. And I agree. And so maybe this is a good segue. So that was a great calming. I mean, so, so in, a, in a, I think you had a tweet the other day. In a world, we have so much capital, so much liquidity interest rates at zero there was something it was just like we're just going to have more volatility because you add the moody generation to this it's, a, it's an explosive cocktail up and down but lots of there, there has there has always been a delay of you know 15 to 50 years between uh what's happening in the academia or research and the real world and if you think about it uh kahanaman uh, got his, uh, I think, no, uh, Nobel Prize on the irrationality of people a while back. And I think probably everybody has already read a book or two about the irrationality of markets and the irrationality of people. But we haven't really seen it in the markets as much as I think we're going to see it in the next decade. Everybody in 
capital markets and Wall Street still thinks things should be rational, where anybody who comes from I, you know, uh, behavioral economics or the crypto markets already knows nothing is rational. Everything is irrational. And if, and if everything is irrational, then potentially we could see the VIX at 80, you know, between 80 to 120 maybe for the next 10 years. Uh, so I think we're entering well, a not decade. in a state, but like your spikes to 80 to 120, you mean? Or you think like a I, constant I, state? Now, people can survive I, that. I, I think we're going to see a, 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 like a, a significant part of the next decade with the VIX at much higher levels Possibly. than we used to before. Okay. Uh, then, yeah, I mean, we've just coming out of a state that was like 10 for months and months and months and years, 10 to 15. So, so let's switch. I mean, there's so much to talk about, but let's switch. What was the thing that got you into crypto? Because eToro is also a crypto startup and company and one of the innovators in the, in the crypto space. So what was the first aha moment? Uh, my aha moment is I had a very similar aha moment with, with, with sort of three technologies. One was the internet on BBSs when I downloaded scripts of The Simpsons. The second was my first <laughs> trade uh, through a bank where I did a trade and then saw it on the blotter on the NASDAQ. Uh, and the third was my first Bitcoin transaction. And, and the aha moment is quite similar. It's like, wow. Everything is connected. So the internet connects everyone with information. Capital market uh, basically connect, you know, all of the companies in the world and the trading in the world. And then Bitcoin or blockchain is just, this is how money is supposed to work. Uh, ledgers are supposed to be either public or, or, or shared between financial institutions. Settlement and clearing definitely needs to happen real time so the first time i start i i did my first bitcoin transaction i was like wow this is how money should work um and, and then i started using it and as a ceo of a company if you tell me like uh, to pay you five thousand dollars i have no idea how to do that like i i would tell you send me an invoice i'll give that invoice to our finance department who has 30 different people and sometime in the next 30 to 60 days you'll get your money and when you tell me to send you a Bitcoin, I'll just go into a wallet and I'll send you a Bitcoin. And I don't know what to, to exactly explain why that's so simple, but I started paying programmers uh, with Bitcoin back in 2012, just you know, talking to and people. And they hated you blogs. for doing that, right? They hated you for doing that. Some of them hated you, I, some uh, of them loved it, I guess. Uh, I, I just didn't. Uh, what you mean, the programmers? No, they loved it. They loved it. Okay. This was, yeah, because th th these were programmers I just found on Bitcoin talks. So this was my, the first time I was on forums there, rumbling and mumbling about the concept of tokenization of assets back in 2012, and just paying people with Bitcoin to write code uh, to show that we can actually do that. Um, so so that's where when I sort of fell in love in, in Bitcoin and blockchain. Most people thought this was completely esoteric, including yourself, Howard. Yep. I remember you dissing me and calling me falafel coin for about six months. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I, you told me to buy Bitcoin at like 12 cents. I'm like, no, I'll just take a falafel. Bad mistake. <laughs> so I did call but, it falafel coin, but keep going, keep going. 
but but I think I think again I think the technology there is mind blowing. I think the uh, the brand of Bitcoin is the best unless brand. there's a yeah unless there's a black swan there could always be a black swan like you know people finding out that it's a you know the NSA built Bitcoin just to find out where drug dealers hide their money but um, and someone dumping all of the coins or. Craig becoming Satoshi and dumping all of the coins. So there could be black swan events to dis- that destroy Bitcoin. But today, Bitcoin's brand, I think, is at the level of, of McDonald's and Starbucks and Microsoft and Tesla. So most people um, that have some interest in finance, economics, all any, any CEO of a company around the world, any central banker, any banker in the world, everybody knows what Bitcoin is, and you could spend ten billion dollars to tr- to cr- try and create that level of brand awareness, and you wouldn't you wouldn't get what what Bitcoin has today. So the value is its its level of decentralization, the actual concept and technology of Bitcoin, and the level of brand awareness that it already has, which basically manifests into the trust or into the value of Bitcoin. There has been a big disappointment right now. Mm-hmm. I hear that from a lot of people of the fact that a lot of the Bitcoiners, including myself, used to say that Bitcoin should act as a safe haven uh, if the economies crash. Um, and uh, we're now seeing the biggest crash in at least the uh, past uh, 12 years, if not 30 years, and uh, Bitcoin is crashing all the way together with the S&P and NASDAQ. Mm-hmm. But, but, but I think that Bitcoin is, a type, is, is not a safe haven against corona or against viruses. It's a safe haven against collapsing governments and collapsing fiat money, which hasn't happened yet. And maybe we should all hope doesn't happen at all. Uh, especially not in Israel and the U.S. and Europe. But I think Bitcoin is eventually a hedge against government and against the notion of governments printing as much fiat money as they want uh, without any controls. And I think that's the real premise of Bitcoin as a currency. And if, unfortunately, we're going to see this crisis becoming a significant financial crisis impacting financial institutions and the notion of money, and then I think we're going to eventually see a significant increase in Bitcoin. And by the way, because of of the global aspect of this economic health crisis, economic crisis and financial crisis, there are going to definitely be countries who will find themselves in a hyperinflation mode. Right. So, so that's that's on the other side of this. There's going to be countries that have hyperinflation. Yep. And so digital matters. So so digital matters because if if people if you're in a country where the currency devalues in ninety percent and you were into crypto at the right time, you're you are the only rich man standing. Mm-hmm. Super interesting. And so so jury's still out for you. A lot of things could happen, both bullish and bearish. Black Swan's always out there for Bitcoin, like you said, you know, supply or, you know, the CIA, whatever. Um, 
And what's on the other side of this, you know, running a company, 800 people and traveling around the world, what are the trends that you were seeing that uh, are unstoppable once we come out of this? Well, one of them might become working from home because yeah. uh, I think people are going to get, get sort of find it hard to actually get back to work. Um, but I think generally moving to digital interaction, I think most meetings are going to be moved digital. I think a lot of the management practices and management routines are all going to move into the digital realm as well. Yep. Um, I think it's going to be easier. So if you look at a lot of the blockchain companies, uh-huh. um, th- they are extremely distributed. So there's like one programmer in this country, another programmer in that country. Uh, and a lot of the, the big companies, including ourselves, are much more centralized. We prefer to have an office with at least 20, 30 people in one location. I think what's going to happen after this crisis uh, a lot of companies are going to realize they they can sort of become much more distributed. You can hire people, almost any type, you know, customer service uh, to sales, uh, to programmers, to product in different countries, one person in each country, and you can still operate and manage a company like that. And, and that's a big paradigm shift. Um <laughs> And um, what do you do around the office? Like, are you sensing a panic internally at all, or, or, or how are you managing that? So, first of all, I'm a guy, so I'm not a good listener. Uh, that's why I, I have. I haven't listened to anything you said. I've been doing work, so hopefully, we've been <laughs> staying on topic. The uh, so, so yes, you're not a good listener, so you don't know so, if anybody's so that, complaining. That, yeah, so that's why I have a, a very good VPHR. She's been listening. She's been, by by the way, she's been like one week ahead of me or two weeks ahead of me this entire time. She's like, they're going to quarantine this place. I'm like, what? That's impossible. There's no way they're going to do that. And wow, they did that in 48 hours. So, um, you know, I'm very focused, uh, you know, at work and talking to people about what needs to be done. Um, And I'm very sensitive for our HR and our people to sort of surface and escalate if there are any issues. Uh, we, we got comfortable with people working from home because of the situation in China. So we, we didn't really... Yeah, you n- could ease into it. it. You could ease into it. In China, nobody asked us to come up with a policy so people can volunteer to work from home. Right. The government just decided that nobody's going to work anymore, period, from now. Right. That still hasn't happened in most countries other than Italy, um, and I think maybe a very few others. Spain. Um, it, uh, so, yeah, so, so even in Israel, they haven't announced yet that you're not allowed to go to work. They haven't announced it yet in, in, in the U.S. So con- companies need to sort of take responsibility to understand what's happening locally, uh, and sort of understand what's also the standard practice locally. I think a lot of the high-tech community in the U.S. were relatively very fast yeah. to define voluntary work from home. Yeah. Uh, by, f- by far faster than any other country uh, that we've seen. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and no doubt that Asia and China were first 
to uh, decide as a government that everybody's working from home and sort of everybody else is somewhere in between where there's one theory that in the UK, the policy is actually for people to to get the virus and get immune. Um, I'm not sure that's a you know an official policy, but I've I've read in a couple of places that basically the theory there is don't try and quarantine people. The majority of the population are either immune or are going to get immune by getting the virus, hmm. and that is the best possible way to get through this. Now, I, I, Sweden's you, you trying that policy, I think. Seriously, they are. I, yeah. I didn't know. I think, by the way, it, it it has a lot of merit because you know if you look at the numbers of like the Diamond Princess, it seems so. First of all, if generally if you get a virus, I'm not an epidemiologist, but yeah. if you get a virus, uh, and it seems like the you know ninety five percent of people who get the virus sort of uh, heal from the virus, which then means they're immune to the virus. So 95% basically get immune if they get infected. And I'm assuming, and there is some research on that as well, that only about 20% of the population can even get infected by the virus. So, so in theory, and those are roughly the numbers when you look at the, uh, at, uh, the, the cruise, right? So 700 got infected out of the 3,500. So, you know, there, there are a lot of different strategies. There is no doubt that the more, most humane strategy of quarantining everybody, if it works, is, uh, is the most humane and safe one, if it works, but it's a financial disaster. Yeah, yeah, so interesting. And then what, is there five companies that you just love that you know, today you're just buying or no? Is there, is there, is, are you a buyer at this market or are you just not adding to anything? I'm, I'm, I'm actually, I don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm, no, I, the answer is I'm, I'm not a buyer yet because I, I don't think, I think the worst uh, is, is, hasn't uh, sort of manifested yet in, in the markets. I think the big internet companies uh, are, are probably relatively resilient to this, mm -hmm. but you can also see this in their numbers, right? So Netflix, um, Zoom, um, I think Zoom is actually at an all-time high right now. Yeah, it is. It hasn't gone down at all. Yeah, it is. Um, so so I, I think other interesting ones are, are the stock exchanges, unless they get shut down. If you look at stocks like CME, CME and CBOE. And NASDAQ, yeah. Yeah, those yeah, come they're, back. they're also yeah, they they're also doing back. quite well. Yes, the uh, well, it's great to talk about panic with you. I appreciate it's late there, so I'll let you go. And hopefully, uh, fam as well. Say hi to everybody, and and thanks for being on Panic with Friends. Thank you very much, Howard. It's been great, and don't panic. Everything will be beautiful and sunny, and we'll go to the beach again once again, and we'll be able to travel and meet face-to-face -face again. All right, buddy. Be well. Be well. Thank you very much. Cheers. Bye. So there you have it, all the way from Tel Aviv tonight. What do you think? A great um, way to listen to someone that has a different perspective. Yeah, you can see, though, that there he's, he, his spider-tingly feelings say the worst is yet to come. Mm -hmm. So I think, I think the key thing for me was the health scare, with the health crisis, it is an economic crisis. And the question is, 
for some already it's a financial crisis. It's been a fucking two months old. It's a financial crisis. Right. So, so two more months and it tips. So I think you got to be really careful. I think it's fun to be cavalier and to say buy the dip, but uh, my gut feeling is I didn't buy anything today, meaning uh, I'm kind of just sat on my fingers and waited. And, and I think that's what we're going to hear. Okay, we will see everybody soon with Panic with Friends.